everyone, and thank you for listening in with us today on our podcast, For the Sake of the Child. Our podcasts are brought to you by the Military Child Education Coalition, whose work is focused on ensuring quality educational opportunities for all military-connected children affected by mobility, family separation, deployments, and transition. Here at the MSEC, we want to ensure that every military child is college, workforce, and life-ready. In our podcast, we will share your stories as we talk to military service members, professionals, parents, and military kids. Please like, share, and subscribe. And we appreciate your comments, questions, and ideas for topics that you would like to hear more about. Welcome, everyone, to our podcast, For the Sake of the Child. Our topic today is Facing Challenges Together, Raising Secure Children in an Uncertain World. My name is Louise Webb. I'm a professional educator, curriculum developer, and researcher for the Military Child Education Coalition. I'm also a parent and the spouse of a retired military service member. Joining me today is Dr. Paula Rausch. Dr. Rausch, can you tell our audience a little bit about yourself and also, if you wouldn't mind sharing, what led you to do work that you do with military families? I'd love to, Louise. I'm a child psychiatrist at the Massachusetts General Hospital where I've been working for the last 35 years. I've spent my whole career working with families facing different kinds of challenges. I started my work um, working in the inpatient pediatrics setting in the hospital with medically ill children, children with cystic fibrosis and cancer in particular, but really all kinds of illnesses that face children. And then just over 20 years ago, I started a program that was for parents who had cancer to help them support the emotional health and well-being of their children during the parent's cancer care, so parent guidance. And I wrote a book along with a colleague um, based on that work, and it was through that book that I got invited into the Military Child Education Coalition family by uh, Mary Keller and uh, and others, particularly Patty Shinseki, because what we discovered together was that um, many of the challenges that families um, facing a medical illness face are similar, at least the ways you support resilience in families where a parent faces an illness are similar to the ways you support resilience in families where a parent, for example, deploys um, or faces other kinds of challenges. And that um, got me started working with military families, and then here at the Mass General, we started a program for veterans who had post-traumatic stress and uh, mild traumatic brain injury, and uh, for about seven years, I helped design the Family Resilience Program uh, for that group here at the hospital. Wow, you have a ton of experience with our military families. That is awesome. And again, thanks for being here with me today. So as I mentioned, our topic is facing challenges together, raising secure children in an uncertain world. And there seems to be some sort of new and at times unsettling or sad event that happens in our world, I can say more often than we would like to see or hear about. So what ages should we be talking to our kids about these types of situations? So, um, you know, I think about our experience here in Boston um, back in 2013 uh, when, as a community, we experienced the Boston Marathon bombings, and there were lots of questions that my colleagues and I addressed um, during that time. And how I think about it is 
the older a child is, uh, the sort of wider the context or the broader their experience is. So you think about very young children, the things that they most need to um, have help understanding from their parents and the other caring adults in their lives, like educators and coaches and faith-based teachers. Um, are really the ones that affect their family, like up close. When kids get a little older, maybe in elementary school, for example, um, it may be more um, kind of their community. And as kids um, get into middle school and certainly into high school, it's not just their neighborhood and community that affects them or their extended family. It's um, the, their state, their country, and the world. And for different kids, um, even events that may occur um, in another country may have particular meaning to them. So many of um, our military-connected children have lived in different places in, in the world, have friends in different places in the world, or may have a family member. And so while um, an event that occurs in Germany might not affect um, most 10-year-olds in the States, it might very much affect a child who knows that their mother has, um, is deployed in, in, uh, in Germany. So um, it really uh, it has to do a lot with um, what is the um, how influenced is a child going to be. So that's that's one way to think about it. And the other is um, what is your child likely to be hearing? So I might say to a parent who has a five-year-old, really the most important things are the things that affect your child in your household and in their um, school setting. But if that child has a sister who's 14 who's sitting at the dinner table and saying, Mom, did you see the explosions of all the lava um, in Hawaii? And maybe Hawaii has no um, meaning to their family otherwise. Well, that five-year-old um, may be wondering, gosh, um, could we have um, in you know in Wisconsin? Could we have um, a lava flow? And what is that about? So um, sometimes the information gets brought to a younger child, and once it's in the mix, we definitely want to talk about it with kids. And the best way to assess that, and that's true from the youngest to the oldest, um, is to find out what our kids are hearing. What do kids talk about at recess today? What do they talk about on the bus? When I was in the other room, what came on on the TV? So um, building into the regular conversation the opportunities to ask your child what he or she may have heard for a younger child to see kind of what's coming up in their play even, um, but making lots of room to hear what kids are hearing and thinking. And I always remind myself as well as other parents that when we talk about talking with children of all ages, we also mean listening to children of all ages because if you want a child to, to talk to you, they really have to feel like you're listening to them. And a lot of good communication is about listening really sometimes more than talking. Oh, I believe that for sure. It's so easy to just hold a conversation and not stop and listen to what they're saying. So that all kind of leads into my next question, too. If kids are not spending time on social media or they're not getting their information there, what other ways would you suggest uh, as a way for us to let our kids know what's going on in the world? You talked a little bit about that, but I wondered if you could go into a little more detail for us. 
Sure. So um, there's some ways that, as we were saying, that um, kids may be getting information, whether it's from the television, um, from social media, um, from the web, and a lot of those um, those sources of information are trying to grab our attention, trying to grab the attention of our children and our teenagers. And because they're trying to grab attention, they are particularly infused with emotion. You know, my I always joke about um, those commercials that come on um, about the 10 o'clock news. Um, stay tuned for the 10 o'clock news to hear what might kill you in your kitchen. And I'm thinking, gosh, if there's something that's going to kill me in my kitchen, why are you waiting till 10 o'clock to tell me about it? Um, but they're trying to hook us in. So, so some is talking to kids about um, so much of the negative and high emotion things that kids hear on TV. It is news because it doesn't happen everywhere all the time. Um, that's what makes it news. But it can feel to a young child like um, uh, a scary event. And I think back again to the Boston Marathon bombing. They played the same footage of that over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. For a young child, it could seem like it was happening over and over and over again. Um, an older child um, would know that it that it happened only one time, but every time they saw it, they might feel um, distressed by it. And so, you know, turning off the, the TV, and there's some data to suggest that the less time kids spend uh, sort of in, in front of a screen, the better able they are to cope with an array of things. And maybe one sits down in the old-fashioned way with a newspaper or with a weekly magazine and talks about the news that way. Sometimes kids have the weekly reader or other um, sources of news that are really age-appropriate. And um, being able – even the radio is less um, overstimulating than than the TV. And for sure, after you hear something, turn off the radio or turn off the TV and have a chance to sort of um, talk through what did you hear and what sense did you make out of that. In the um, – in the year after the Boston Marathon bombing, uh, we did we um, we created a book that you would find available. Uh, your listeners um, would find available on our website on uh, www.mghpact.org. It's a book called um, uh, "Community Crises and Disasters: A Handbook for Talking with Children of All Ages." But one of the things that we found um, in the process of doing the research that then led to writing the book. Um, was that um, because adolescents often got their information even ahead of the grown-ups in the household, they knew about the bombing or they hear about um, uh, a shooting or um, some other a, a fire, some other troubling event, that sometimes parents forgot that just getting the news isn't um, the only part of sharing information. It's not just getting the news. It's talking about it with a parent, making sense of it. In the way that I spoke about a moment ago, um, just reminding kids that, um, you know, uh, in the example of Hawaii, that that um, there there's not lava shooting up all over the country over and over again, or the the Boston Marathon bombing, or um, a fire on the West Coast, that um, that's not happening everywhere all the time. So the, the frequency of that is important to make sure that kids understand um, that as frequent, frequent as these events occur, and I think particularly of school shootings, it is heartbreaking that there have been so many school shootings in the last short while. 
but it's important that kids also know how many schools there are in the United States. And um, even one school shooting is one school shooting too many, but also kids need to know that um, the vast, 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 vast majority of all schools are safe places and that um, there are not active shooters in in every high school. Uh, so it's it's important that the grown-ups share that perspective piece with children and follow up to help them to integrate um, troubling news. I uh, remember when the towers fell with 9-11, my oldest son was pretty young and probably like everybody, I had a hard time turning the TV off and he ended mm-hmm. up doing a drawing in kindergarten about the, of course, my husband was active duty at the time, so he had this whole drawing of these towers, and his teacher pulled me in, and she was, actually, she thought it was very healthy that he had drawn these towers, and everyone, all the other kids were drawing things that weren't of that much importance, I guess, at the time, but it alarmed me because I was, I did fall into that trap of leaving the television on and having it, like you said, play over and over, and especially to a younger child, I could imagine them thinking it just continually happens on a cycle. Oof, makes you think about it for sure. Just turn it off after you see what happens. Mm-hmm. So if in a crisis situation like that, um, when things are happening and if kids are involved for sure, you you and I talked before one time about having an action plan or mm-hmm. having safety planning in place. And when we do our parent-to-parent workshops, sometimes we hear parents say that they they feel uh, connected and they feel good about their child carrying a cell phone because they feel that that's their way of keeping them safe. Can you share, do you in your position feel that there's any problems with using a cell phone as a safety plan? So for kids who are old enough to be out and about um, in in their neighborhood and, and in town, uh, I understand why parents feel good about that child having a cell phone and um, to some extent being able to rely on the use of the cell phone. Um, but it's really not the same as making a plan. Uh, so there, you know, when you think about the kind of plans that um, firemen suggest that we have in our house or in our schools and uh, doing um, a practice run of what what would you do if you smelled smoke. Um, you would do this and then you would do this and, what, and you would do this. And then if that didn't work, what else might you try? So that's one kind of safety planning. And we want to help kids to understand how you do safety planning and just saying, um, you know, you've got your phone, don't worry. Um, that alone is not helpful. Then there are the kind of safety plans about um, lessening risk, like every time you get into the car, you put on a seatbelt. It's not because you're expecting to have a car accident, but because it's one way to be safe or looking both ways before you cross the street. Putting on a helmet um, when you um, ski or when you get on your bike. Um, those are all kinds of safety plans. Maybe creating your own hurricane kit for if you lose the electricity in the house. Demonstrating for kids what are active ways of taking charge of, of potentially challenging circumstances or potential crises because what you're doing is you're helping them to practice that there's a plan and just giving someone a phone and imagining that that's going to be a plan is actually not teaching them the good planning skills that we would want kids to grow up with. And then there's the reality that um, 
kids lose their cell phones, the batteries go dead in certain kinds of emergencies, the cell phones don't even work. And if there hasn't been a practiced way to have plan A and plan B and then plan C, um, including if you can't reach me, um, who's a grown-up that you can go to to talk to? Who's the, you know, who's the go-to grown-up when you're in different settings? If we're in a big um, place and we get separated, what's the place that we go to um, to meet? And I think um, before cell phones, parents had to be more active in doing that planning with children. I think children benefited from that process. And um, when the plan is... Um, for, for safety is just to, to rely on the cell phone. We're actually shortchanging kids. Um, and it happens in a context in which some of the other kinds of planning um, also have fallen by the wayside to some extent. So um, it's doubly important to do planning with kids because they may not be planning with each other um, in quite the ways that previous generations did. They can be more um, spontaneous because they can text each other. Um, but there are some important skills that come from planning. And when I think about military kids in particular, um, the, the lifestyle requires some kinds of planning that many kids don't experience. There are many military kids, not all, who um, will have moved multiple times, and there's a lot of preparation that goes into a move um, and adjustment when you arrive in a new location. Um, there's also the preparation if mom or dad is going to be out training and they're going to be away um, or for a longer period of time if they're deployed. So um, the planning that goes into um, shifting roles at home or um, managing uh, the, uh, you know, a change in, in everybody's jobs at home, all of that is planning and uh, learning to be prepared and to plan and to have a backup plan, those are incredibly good life skills. When we talk about resilience, we often are talking about helping kids to have confidence that uh, life can be good and life can be bad, but when life is not going how you hope, um, you can remember a time when it was hard and it got better. So think about sort of the way um, about waves, that there are peaks and troughs, if all, you're, all you've ever imagined is peaks, the first time you end up in a trough, it's pretty scary. You lose confidence in yourself or in the circumstance. But if you come to understand that life has um, peaks and troughs and peaks again, then it's a lot easier um, to stay uh, confident and confident in your competence um, and wait for and work towards um, that next peak. Oh, I love that. I think that's a good visual for all of us. So in our podcast with For the Sake of the Child, we love to tell stories. And so I was wondering if you could share maybe a favorite or a particular story that you have about a military family or just a military child who was able to overcome a challenge that they were struggling with. Is there a particular story that you feel comfortable sharing? I think what comes to my mind uh, first off is I was um, part of an educational symposium at Quantico, and there was there were a few middle schoolers, so sixth, seventh, and eighth graders, and they were being asked questions about where did they like, where had they most enjoyed living, and uh, the maturity with with 
with which those middle school children talked about the differences between living in a city versus living in the country, um, the weather in different places, um, the pros and cons, the, adjust the adjustment, the kind of schools. It was just dazzling. And when I think about challenges and moving, living in different settings is indeed a challenge, but the, the sheer depth of experience that military children experience and um, share with each other and share with their classmates. I just have the sense that any class that has a military child in it is a very lucky class. I happen to agree with you for that. Kids, the military kids have so much experience and they can share that with other kids in their grade levels as well. Well, I want to thank you for sharing all of your valuable information with us today. I want to thank all of our listeners for joining us. Please like, share, and subscribe. And we appreciate your comments, questions, and ideas for topics that you would like to hear more about. Continue listening for our after show, where we'll talk in more detail about some of the points that we shared on Dr. Rausch's topic of facing challenges together, raising secure children in an uncertain world. Welcome to our after show. With me here is Tara Gleason, and we're going to talk some more about our podcast, Facing Challenges Together, Raising Secure Children in an Uncertain World. Hi, I'm Tara, like Luis, I'm a professional educator, curriculum developer, and researcher for the Military Child Education Coalition. A thought that came to me from speaking with Dr. Rausch was the way she talked about military kids and exposure to news and events happening locally and around the world. Military kids may react differently to current events, especially if their parent is deployed or maybe serving overseas or on a training mission. And Dr. Rausch mentioned focusing on the age of your child and sharing information at their age level. And she also suggested asking your kids what they are hearing, whether it be at school or at the playground. Then most importantly, listen to their responses to your questions. Listening is a skill that most of us, including myself, need to work on and get better at doing. Yeah, I agree. That whole concept of listening to our kids and finding out what it is that they've already heard, that's just so important. I'm not sure if you were working with us yet, Luis, but when I worked on a parent-to-parent -parent team, when I first started working for the MSEC, one of our educators that now works for the student-to-student -student program had teenage daughters. One of her daughters was feeling distressed because of her current events class while her father was deployed. So Paula talked about this a little bit. Sometimes for military kids, what they see on the news is not just some abstract concept. For this teen in particular, she knew her dad was deployed, and the headlines at that time were filled with war-related incidents, which understandably caused her to worry. I remember sitting around the breakfast table at our team meeting trying to brainstorm ways to best address the situation. We discussed, of course, letting the school and the teacher know about the situation, and I suggested perhaps having an alternate assignment. And after listening to this podcast, I think that using a newspaper as a source of completing current events assignments might have been a good suggestion as an alternate instead of watching news clips, which she mentioned are filled with more emotion. It would also allow for more in-depth conversation and provide that opportunity to limit topics that could cause distress. 
suggesting to the school that maybe there was an alternate way for the student to fill that assignment was a great suggestion because teachers can definitely come up with different ways for a child to fulfill an assignment and yet know that that child understands that concept as well. Dr. Roush did mention that when kids do have exposure to media or they hear of an event, it's a good idea to turn off the source of that story, whether it be from the TV or the radio. And then as a parent, you can have the conversation about that particular event that has or is still taking place. So one of the main questions that I was curious about before this podcast and that I had hoped would come up was what are the better sources of news or current events for kids? And I know that it really can depend on their ages. When I was growing up in middle school and high school, each day in homeroom we watched something called Channel One News, which was geared directly towards teens. So Dr. Rush talked about possibly using the radio or newspaper to introduce topics instead of the evening news, which is more emotionally charged. So in our family, I really limit my kids' exposure to the news and keep in mind their ages. I have younger kids. We don't have it on in our house, and I get really nervous when it's on when we visit family. Just recently, we were out visiting my in-laws, and the evening news was on. And there were some topics that came up that I mentioned to my father-in-law. Like, my kids do not know about that situation yet, and I'm just not ready for us to go down that road. So I ask them, hey, can, can you watch that later? So we're a little bit more on the strict side when it comes to news. And one of my kids in particular is a worrier, and I just don't feel that they're ready to be exposed to some of what we hear about on the headlines. I know that they will eventually have to hear these things, but for now, I just really try to limit their exposure. I think that's great. You've got some good practices in place in your house. So I'd also like to mention two websites that can be very helpful to families regarding facing challenges with our kids in this uncertain world. And the first is www.stayingstrong.org. And this website is an initiative of the Red Sox Foundation and the Massachusetts General Hospital home-based program. The website provides parent guidance for military-connected families. And on this site, I want to draw attention to a six-minute video, and it is on the topic of staying strong while uh, our kids are facing challenges together. It's called Facing Challenges Together because it directly relates to what we talked about today in our podcast. So in this short video, Dr. Roush explains the role of loving connections in supporting the emotional health and well-being of all children, but especially those facing life-changing events or challenges. And she goes on to explain that children who feel understood and loved are more resilient. And when a child or a teen is overwhelmed or in distress, parents and other caring adults are the ones most likely to recognize these changes and can play a key role in assessing needed supports. So it's a great video to complement what we talked about today. And we will be speaking in great length with Dr. Roush this summer at our national training seminar. So please stay tuned for another podcast in the future where we'll go into more detail about this amazing resource. The next website is www.nghpact.org, and this website provides parent guidance consultations to parents with cancer and their partners, but it also has the entire book that Dr. Roush mentioned that she has collaborated on titled Community Crisis and Disasters, A Parent's Guide to Talking with Children of All Ages. 
So when you visit that website, you can download that book right from that website. So I highly encourage you to do that for your family. And one more website, um, our website, www.militarychild.org. Just so you know, there's also some great videos by Dr. Rausch on our website. You just go to the Parents and Students tab and click on Resources, and you can just scroll down, and you're going to see some great videos with Dr. Rausch as well. So in that book you talked about, it's such a wonderful resource. There's one section that gives some great information on conversation tips when talking to kids of all ages after a crisis or disaster. And that could really be helpful, especially if you as a parent aren't sure how to start these tough conversations. Before we leave, I'd like to talk about one more point that you discussed, Louise, and that was the importance of having an action or safety plan. I think the idea of the safety plan directly relates to the necessity of building a support system so that we as military families can let our kids know who is in their web of support and what other trusted adults they can turn to if their parents can't be reached for some reason. So I often think of an action plan in regards to fire safety in October during Fire Prevention Month. For my kids, we talked about the exit route out their window, about helping out your little brother but not going to the door to get to see if the door is hot, which neighbor's house to go to, and we actually practiced doing that. We made sure to let each neighbor know that they were part of our plan, and I pointed out to my kids the family that was most likely to be home, and that was a retired couple that were, you know, home most often. And we made sure that it was okay with each one of these families that they were a part of our plan. But to be honest, we practiced these types of things when they were little, but we haven't done it at our new house. This podcast conversation was a really good reminder to me that we really should be practicing and implementing action plans, not only for a fire, but other emergency instances as well and also revisit those plans every time that we PCS or have some sort of major transition. That's great advice, Tara, especially with the constant moving military families do to make sure that those safety plans are in place. So this concludes our podcast on facing challenges together, raising secure children in an uncertain world. I want to thank you again for listening to our podcast for the sake of the child. We would like to invite you to visit our website at www.militarychild.org, like the MSEC on Facebook, and follow us on Twitter. And please join us again next time as we share more stories that impact military-connected children.